0: Kittens, we are back with another very special stay at home self quarantine episode of The Brando Cast. My guest today. The city of Los Angeles lost my guest today to the mean streets mm-hmm. of Nashville, denying Los Angeles one of its most powerful sources of rock and roll. He is a singer, a songwriter, and a guitar virtuoso. Though he is not the tallest dude in the world, he fucking is filled with the power of rock, and you should see this motherfucker play guitar. Whether it's his band's soul, Orson Goldsboro, maybe you saw him in Buck There's only one Kevin Rankin on the planet Earth, and he is my guest today on the Brando Cast. Dude,
1: what is up? Dude, what a what an intro. I don't even know. I, that's I get, can I take you everywhere with me. Are
0: you wearing a Palomino t-shirt?
1: I certainly am. I I just acquired this. uh, I was just in Los Angeles and uh, do you know about the Valley Relics Museum?
0: I know about the Valley Relics Museum. Mm -hmm. It is phenomenal. Did you get that shirt at the Valley Relics Museum?
1: I sure did. Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay. The Palomino is a legendary club. I want Kevin to tell everybody about the power of the Palomino, <laughs> just give everyone just a little, just a little sense or two about what that place was.
1: If, if, well, for me to speak about the Palomino, uh, I'm, that's uh, a little before my time, really the heyday, my memories of the Palomino, if, uh, from the beginning are probably, uh, you know, I grew up in sun Valley, which is just North of North Hollywood. And, um, so we were constantly up and down Lancashire for everything. And there it was, you know, uh, surrounded. I could remember it sitting there, looking so out of place, like surrounded by a dirt lot where you would park, I guess. And and so we'd hear that, you know, we'd hear stories. Oh, Linda Ronstadt played there last weekend, or this kind of stuff. Um, so I mean, that, you know, uh, I was a kid in the heyday of it, and then I th- it might have been closed or or irrelevant or something in, you know in the eighties. I, I I shouldn't say that because. There was probably a lot happening there, but it was off of my, uh, you know, off of my radar at that point. But, um, I did get to play there uh, at least once. I remember one time playing there, I put this shirt on and I, and I, I was like, Oh, I actually played there once. Some kind of a weird showcase thing. And, uh, for one of my old bands in the nineties, early nineties, and it must've closed like just after that or something, you know? And then of course, yeah, you, you, you hear, you know, but everybody knows, the lore of like, you know, you hear, I think about Graham Parsons and that whole scene and everything, uh, kind of revolving around this weird spot in the Valley too, you know? Yeah.
0: A weird spot in the Valley, a weird spot in North Hollywood, not in Hollywood, not on sunset Boulevard where Johnny cash played Elvis Costello played. Mm. Um, I think Dwight Yoakam got his start playing at the Palomino. Would that be true? Probably.
1: That sounds about right. I also forgot to mention one, one funny uh, note. Um, my sister married a guy named Glenn Campbell. That's his name, uh, with two N's. His father uh, was in Glenn Campbell's band, who played the Palomino all the time. And he, so he named, he named his son Glenn with two N's. That's, that's how wow. meaningful it was for him.
0: Uh, the reason that I'm so excited to talk with Kevin today is there are a few people that I know in my life who have a profound understanding of the L.A. rock scene. So we are going to get into a lot of amazingness today. There's also nobody on the planet Earth that I would rather talk about KISS with than Mr. (laughs) Kevin Rankin, because I know, I know through our many conversations that he is one of the ultimate KISS fans. So on that note, did you hear that we got to talk to Paul Stanley on our serious XM show rock tales.
1: Yeah. I, I more than heard. I, uh, I tuned in. It was, uh, I was in uh, Westlake village, California. And wow. And I, I think I was parking the rental car and I, and I saw your post and I'm like, Oh shit. And you were about 30 minutes in or something. So I caught, I caught, uh, I caught the funny questions that Paul finally was like, Are we almost done with this?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was the I want, well, you know, that was the I want to know game. Oh, yeah. And we took the audio drop of Paul going, I want to know, which he does live. I want to know. And then we just came up with a bunch of dumb questions for him. But he was a delight. It was kind of an out of body experience uh, because I was a member of the Kiss Army. Uh, starting in 1977, when I sent in my application via the Love Gun album insert, uh, you may predate me on the Kiss Army. I'm not sure.
1: Maybe just slightly. Uh, yeah, I, pro- <laughs> I, I think I joined. Pro- it might have been. It might have been the end of '76 or something when when I when I mailed in my five dollars. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that's the best patch of all time. Uh, the Kiss Army patch that we got with that uh, application,
1: yeah, uh, dude, you got so much for five bucks, and that—that's the other thing too. You got like you know four uh, beautiful eight by ten glossy photos of uh, of the guys and a group shot, and you got this um, newsletter, dude. I would I would be so excited like coming home from school if if the newsletter they were really bad at sending out this quarterly newsletter, um, but like I might have got one when they promised like four a year. But I, I do if that came in the mail, like, oh, f- like, forget everything. It was just so exciting for me. And I was I was like 11, you know, like this was like, yeah, yeah, we can get into all that if you want. Well, <laughs> yeah.
0: well, we will. We were the perfect age. Uh, you and I were the perfect age for Kiss. Uh, but before we jump into uh, the subject of one of our favorite bands, just give me an update on all things. Kevin, what is happening right now? I'm seeing some new videos. On YouTube. I'm seeing, I'm hearing some new music. I'm seeing a video featuring your wonderful daughter who's Mm. growing up so fucking fast. Uh, Just give me an update about what's going on in your rock and roll world.
1: Well, I think like, like a lot of us, uh, we had to find some, uh, some stuff to do (laughs) last year. Uh, And uh, for me, I had just come off the road. Literally, I was, it turned into about three years of, of a really heavy, uh, road schedule and, um, COVID came, everything stopped. And, uh, for me, it was kind of a, it was a good time I thought to step off, um, with, uh, and, you know, and that that I'm referring to, to playing with Buck Cherry and, um, guys that guys that I've known since I was, you know, 20 or something, you know, I've known him since uh, forever. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I started, um, I'll play guitar for people and I've done, I've definitely done my share of that. Uh, But I I guess I've, I've always been a songwriter and I started writing, I started finishing songs is what I started doing. And um, you know, and I also started mixing a record that was from my old nineties band, my first kind of real band called soul that some of the, some of the nineties, you know, Hollywood people would probably remember. In that scene, that strange scene, it was a transitional thing when, when like when grunge came and everything, you know? Yeah. So I, I uh, you know, I was, I was mixing that a lot of that stuff on the road and I really just started spending way more time in the studio and, and with my, uh, uh my, my wife and daughter who you mentioned, who's who just turned 12 Jesus.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> God crazy. damn it. I remember, I remember handing you uh, a little, little package of a, of an infant David Bowie shirt or a, or a toddler <laughs> David Bowie shirt. Um, yeah. so I, that's just crazy, dude. That's amazing. It was hilarious to see her, uh, in, in that video. Um, when did you guys shoot that one?
1: Uh, we shot that here, mostly on our, our property. I live in Franklin, which is just South of Nashville uh, we moved here about five years ago and um so we're kind of on the rural side of stuff so we have we have a couple acres and so we shot a lot of it uh you know in the back here and uh our neighbor is this lady who's got like i don't know she probably has seven acres over there so we shot a bunch of it over there and and yeah it's it's kind of uh, there's a song called say i that um uh, that my uh that we did with um with my my soul guys you know we did we recorded it and uh yeah, it's sort of an ode to, um, in in a way, an ode to a movie called "Ladies and Gentlemen, the Fabulous Stains. Are you familiar? Mm-hmm. Starring yeah, uh-huh. starring, mm-hmm. starring Diane Lane um, and Steve Jones and uh, Paul Cook, I believe is in it. Yeah, he's in it, and uh, Simonon's in it uh, in the band. So yeah, um, yeah, and that was uh, so. I I kind of wanted to just like jump over like generation, 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 and show her this which I obviously didn't show her the inappropriate movie, but, but the makeup and the idea that this, Hey, this, this was, uh, you know, this was girls saying, you know, we can do it. We can, we can, we can rock like the boys, you know, and whatever. So that, that, and that's all it. So she, the whole thing is she's, she kind of sneaks off. Uh, we were in zoom school all, all year or a bunch of the, the time last year. So, It sort of shows the frustration of of what was going on with that and her being sneaky and texting a friend, Hey, let's go rock. And so they do a zoom jam. They sneak off and do a zoom jam.
0: Dude, that's amazing. (laughs) Does she have, you can be honest with me. I assume she has the power of rock. Are you, are you at all concerned about one day having to deal with the dad? I'm in a band now conversation.
1: You know, well, I'm concerned about a lot of those kinds of things. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't know that it's going to be, I'm in a band. Um, uh, it's weird. You know, I, I think that just for us, how we found our own stuff, you know, and that's how it is with her. I mean, she, we, we play stuff around the house all the time, eighties electronic new wave. What, so she knows Depeche mode and she knows you too. And she knows um, she knows, we also placed like old R&B, like Bill Withers and stuff. So, and Oasis, I, she loves Oasis, right? Um, so <laughs> yeah, which is just amazing. She knows She's always asking me like, you know, why are they, why do they fight? And, you know, but the stuff that I, I can is really meaningful to her. She also sings, you know, she's and so, and she's a really good singer. And so, but you know, she loves Billie Eilish and she loves, uh, you know, whatever some of these like Olivia Rodrigo, which is kind of not anything really to me. But um, Billie Eilish is obviously pretty awesome. You know, extremely awesome. So like, I'm excited that she that that that's kind of her favorite. You know,
0: because Billie Eilish is not that much older than her. She's not
1: what all, much older. You said.
0: No, she's yeah. not. She's not much older than your daughter. I mean, <laughs> yeah. really? I mean, it, you know, for me, as a, as a Gen X dude, looking back, yeah. anyone who's, uh, you know, under 40, I'm like, oh, you're a young person. You know what I mean? But yeah. she's only, what, nine or 10 years older than your daughter?
1: Yeah. If that, what has she got to be? Maybe 18? 18 by now? Wow. Yeah.
0: That's incredible. Has your daughter, have you taken
1: your daughter to see KISS? Um, I, I have, uh, not, um, we think here, no, no, we, we have not, we have not seen Kiss. She's seen, uh, she's seen Guns N' Roses, uh, when she was, (laughs) when she was really little, um, uh, I, I, you know, we, we actually had Billie Eilish tickets for Nashville and that, that all, um, that didn't happen. So hopefully we'll get back into those thousand dollar seats eventually or something, you know, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, well, uh, have you played, last question, have you played Kiss for Her?
1: Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I actually, w- when you asked me that, I, I remember this time that I almost feel like you were there, but we had some kind of a party at our house. And I remember my friend, there was about four of us sitting around the TV, and I think my, it was probably my birthday. And my friend, uh, Dell, I think, had given me like a kiss, ter- kissery or some one of these things like a DVD hit. Right. So we were sitting around watching one of the concerts that they have on that, you know, it was like, a. I think it was the 76, it might've been 76 in a Kobo or something like that. Right. And, and I remember her just kind of like hanging with the boys watching this thing in the living room and, and, you know, and meet me stopping, pausing the blood spitting and the fire and rewinding and, and her like, like not being able to look away, you know, um, <laughs> and, and this, you, you, you have to, you have to be there for this thing, but she started doing, I had this, uh, I still have this U S tour poster, you know, the one with Peter has the bloody, uh, head and he's playing the drum and see us tour. Yeah, the nineteen the
0: 1976 yeah. bicentennial yeah. 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 America. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, um, th- that was in our old house in Los Feliz is there. And, and so she started doing this thing where. Um, I think it was a combination of her hearing Paul's banter in that video and seeing that that big hairy chest. And so she started doing this thing. She started going like the hair. She would do this thing <laughs> with the hair. And so she was I think she was trying to talk like Paul. She yeah. keep going like the hair. And it was all about the hair. So that something that happened in her own little mind somehow, you know.
0: I love it. Uh, well, she she uh, obviously she she grew up looking at these rock and roll superheroes, <laughs> superheroes or supervillains on the wall, which is amazing. And that image is burned in her head. Yes, uh, Amit Amit Zappa and I do this. We've been doing this bit at parties, uh, where we'll go like, I want to know how many of you, and then we'll fill in the blank with something absurd like, have had Yuka's tacos on Hillhurst. Um, all right, well, let's, without further ado, let's get into it because we have, we have a lot of ground to cover today on the Brando cast, uh, here is with Mr. Kevin Rankin. And I, let me just say this, the history of kiss is too vast to do in one podcast. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to present, uh, Kevin with what, uh, with five, what I think are the five essential kiss records that you have to have in your collection for one reason or another and we'll get his opinions about that uh and i'll just read a couple notes that i pulled off of wikipedia uh to get into one of the most important bands of all time KISS is the debut studio album by American rock band KISS released on February 18, 1974. Much of the material on that debut album was written by Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley when they were members of their pre-KISS band, Wicked Lester. Simmons estimated that the entire process of recording and mixing that record took three weeks while co-producer Richie Wise has stated that it just took 13 days noted songs on that record strutter deuce firehouse black diamond and cold gin an album that i think stands the test of time kevin what are your feelings about kiss's
1: debut record oh man um yeah where do i start with that um i'm, I'm gonna start with uh, with a funny funny story here that uh, oh, first of all it's i i it's obviously hilarious that we're talking about kiss. And, and, and I always think that, um, you know, from, from early on, I went to Catholic school, right? So th- there's always been this, uh, this element of, of shame kind of around loving kiss, right. Uh, whether it was from like the nuns that looked at me funny when I wore a kiss t-shirt or on like the free dress day, you know, or, uh, the, the kind of like, Weird, scared, sideways shit I'd get from other kids in the class because what's what kind of satanic thing is that? Uh, So it it starts off there. Then going forward to like you know it's what it in in my experience it's it wasn't very cool to like kiss you know at all, and it was in the closet uh, you know (laughs) you know to some to some degree right. You know, so I I, I got so I got to backtrack to like the thing one of the things that attracted me to Kiss and it has to do with that first album uh, when I moved to Sun Valley, California when I was a little kid uh, I was probably ten years old and I met this kid Richard Ammerman who had long hair and uh, and his big family he had these two older sisters that were total babes they they may as well have been Charlie's Angels you know like. <laughs> Like, you know, feathered, feathered hair, beautiful. So I had just kind of met Richard and we, and Halloween came along. And so, yeah, come up to me, you know, and he was a tough stoner type of kid, long hair guy. And I come up to, uh, and and by the way, at this point, uh, I like had no record collection. I was listening to my parents, uh, you know, early Stones records or Don McLean American Pie or Carol King or things that my mom had at that point. So, I go to to Rich, Richard's house, and and I think his his brother was dressed as some like real half assed version of Paul or something. But his older sister Kelly had this brown feathered hair, and she she looked like she was six foot two or something to me, um, who was probably like four feet tall at that time. And she had the Peter Chris makeup from the first album painted on her beautiful face and she was wearing like this black spandex crazy thing she was probably 15 years old i'm guessing i i, I just remember seeing her being like a 10 year old and <laughs> and ha- have having having been showed someone showed me the kiss destroyer record like when I, at my old apartment building but with, before we moved and i was just like oh yeah i took a mental note of it you know but like when i saw her in that in that makeup and that night and spending all like the whole night following her around, like (laughs) just like falling in love with her, basically in this gorgeous Peter Chris makeup with his feathered hair. That was very exciting on some kind of a, you know, uh, young boy that is starting to get excited level, you know? So uh, yes. And and then I went back to his house and sure enough, there was the album sitting out. Um, that she had, you know, painstakingly like. If anybody, you know, us guys, if you know, you know, the, the Peter Chris makeup is different on mm-hmm. the first album, right? right. And yeah. and it's it's wonderful. It's like full like. First of all, that whole that album looks like the cover uh, is such like a kabuki style to me, and you know they're they're kind of all wrapped in this. Kind of black and silver shit. You can't even see their bodies. It's just their faces, like this, right? Um, so, yeah, that that was my experience with the first Kiss album, at least. Yeah.
0: Well, me uh, as a as a student at Saint Bernard's Elementary in Mount Lebanon, uh, Pennsylvania, suburb of Pittsburgh. It's hard to describe because, again, I said this earlier. I think you and I. Or the are the perfect age for KISS because we weren't hard teenagers when KISS first came out. But we were right there at 10, 11, 12, 13 to run with the ball during fourth, fifth and sixth grade at the height of the KISS mania in the 70s, you know, and to go out to Halloween as ace, you know, in fifth grade. Uh, to buy the kiss your face makeup kit at Spencer's gifts in the South Hills village mall, you know, which was like one of the most important things of all time to have the kiss dolls. Cause we're still young enough where we're buying dolls. Migo puts out the collect them all. Ace, Jean, Paul, and Peter by Migo. Uh, you know, it's, it was just so fun. They were like, superheroes in the, cause we're all reading comic books and they were like comic book characters that we, we could watch on ABC that we could sneak a peek on an American bandstand. There's no MTV, but they were on TV all the time somehow. So, I mean, I, I mean, you know, sell it. I didn't know any older, cool girls who were listening to kiss at all yeah. at St. Bernard's. Cause as you said, it was taboo Catholic. It's weird, but it's fun and exciting. And the thing that, uh, that I wanted to say about the debut album is, when you think about and I'll ask you this as a musician, Strutter, Deuce, Cold Jin, when you listen to Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine, Scott Ian from Anthrax, uh, Dave Grohl, they all learned those songs. When you put together your first band as a kid, 14, 15, 16, not learning Beatles songs anymore. They're learning Kiss songs because right. they were easy to they were easy to play. So let me ask you as a musician, when did, did you have a similar experience with their music like that? Like learning to play strutter or learning to play deuce?
1: I did. I mean, I, re- I remember, um, playing strutter in like one of my early bands. I, I had my first band when I was 12. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, we, we, yes. Yeah. We put a band together. Uh, this is back to the Ammermans house. Uh, his older brother, uh, Mitch, I think was his name, had a band called Ray's taxi and they used to rehearse in the garage <laughs> <laughs> this is a garage in sun valley i mean when when, you, when i saw like you before
0: know, the hipsters but by the way before the hipsters moved to sun valley are
1: you serious there was
0: an, there was an exodus the uh uh-huh, people were leaving echo park and silver lake to have a little ranchito in oh. sun valley so yes that was a quick tangent go back to race yeah. taxi
1: yeah so we'd sit in there and uh you know the, the first uh, marijuana joint that's ever passed through my hands. You know, it, 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 I guess my mom will probably see this or not, but um, at, at that very young age. And um, uh, it, it's so funny that I care. Um, but yeah, so we, we decided, I, I saw them playing in this garage full of red lights and mirrors and smoke um, they were they were learning how to play, uh, down, down 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 down, and play that funky music till you die. They were playing that song. Oh wow! And 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 actually, that was that was pretty. Uh, that that was a, a a moment for me in like like oh shit! This is what happens when you put all those things in the music store together and play you know at once and. But uh, yeah, so we, so I called my band Black Taxi, I think, because I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, that's right, and and we did oh great, se- we did the seventh grade talent show, um, yeah, but you know, like you set me up by talking about me as a guitar player, I, I I always like you know Ace is is one of my biggest influences, obviously, because well because he's awesome, and I and I you know you hear like Tom Morello it's a perfect example because like he knows, he knows how important and, and how great those leads are and how, how you can sing every note of them. I mean, after hearing them like twice or something, you, you know, the solo, like it's the melody of the song. It's better than the melody, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, <laughs> but I, I've never, there's has there are guys that do circles, you know, playing guitar around me for sure. Um, Quick question before I read
0: some more about kiss. Sure did you ever make up a black taxi t-shirt?
1: Yeah, we did. We did for the, (laughs) for the talent show and they had, uh, I think my mom was responsible for getting all four of us. I have a photograph. Uh, Maybe I'll send it to you if you want to use it for your, you know, uh, for, for your thing there. But, uh, it's, it's all four of us. And I'm, I'm like, I'm like going like, like this, I look down and they're all looking at the camera and I'm like this, but we have our black taxi in, um, iron on, Rainbow letters. Rainbow glitter. Love it. Yeah, 70s. Yep.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so amazing. Uh, you know what else is amazing? Mm. Alive is the fourth album overall from Kiss and their first live record. It is considered to be their breakthrough album and a landmark for live recordings. Released on September 10th, 1975, this double album contains live versions of selected tracks from their first three studio records, which were Kiss, Hotter Than Hell, and Dressed to Kill. The album was recorded at concerts in Detroit, Cleveland, Wildwood, New Jersey, Holy Christ, and Davenport, Iowa, all in the spring and early summer of 1975. 19- 75, alive. Absolutely the first live record that I ever had. And the one that made me want to like be a part of the Kiss Army because the back of that record has that great picture of those young teenagers uh, holding a uh, handmade Kiss banner with their hands raised up in the air uh, in a packed arena. And and it was like, that's where I want to be. I want to be in that crowd.
1: Uh, as soon as my mom will let me go to concerts. Yeah. And, and alive, that's, that's the one thing, you know, alive is, is the one, like if, if I could only have one kiss album ever, or if there only ever was one, you know, it would have, to, for me, it's alive. People will say alive too, or, or whatever, love gun or something. But, uh, people like dress to kill, um, Alive in in see I I didn't even know about those first three albums yet you know I I think my my record collection went like this I my dad took me to a Zodis I don't know if he had Zodis in Albuquerque or where no
0: we did not have Zodis I love it
1: yeah and he and I picked out a Steppenwolf album uh, when I was probably Mm -hmm. like (laughs) like maybe nine and uh, I had no idea what it was it was like some weird one called uh, At Your Birthday and it it was. It looked like a super like there's a super heroine photograph of the band in there. it's it's bizarre. Um, but and it had Mickey Mouse like all over it. So I just thought, oh, I'll get this. And then I got Led Zeppelin too because some kid mm-hmm. some kids showed me the woo 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 thing, the stereo effect and a whole lot of love. So that was reason <laughs> enough to buy it. I went and to Owl's Records and Bikes in Burbank. And oh, which, which was, which was heaven on earth, that place. I mean, wow. I've done all this research on the, on the internet about Al's bikes. I found a couple photographs. I'll send them to you. Um, Cause I, I actually wondered at one point, like, did it really even exist? You know, like, but that's where I first saw like an Alice Cooper poster and I bought that Led Zeppelin album and, and they had Schwinn bikes right next door. And it's, it was in the exact spot where they built the monster Ikea. So it's all, nothing is there anymore. Uh, in Burbank, so when you're wow. you'll feel you'll feel the ghost of of Al's bikes next time you go. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. So and then my but my third record, if I remember correctly, was Kiss Alive. My mom probably bought it for me, and um, I was probably ten in Sun Valley, and I I did that thing that was so part of the culture of being a kid when we were kids, which I kind of tilted both speakers in. And I put, I put, I put myself in this scary uh, place called Cobo Hall where they were playing. (laughs) And, you know, (laughs) and I fucking looked, I looked at those letters on the inside, you know, like, like I slither at night around your earlobe or whatever the hell he was saying (laughs) in those letters. And uh, I'm here to get you off, you know, come with me. You're not whatever Paul was saying. and I'm from this other planet and I'm a cat person. And, and I just fucking like, like that was my gateway to, um, really to everything rock and roll and to everything, uh, adolescent and rebellious. And, um, and it was, uh, what was so important about that. It was entirely mine. And like, you know I grew up in Los Angeles, right, but if you live in Sun Valley and you, and you're you're not really going too far past Lancashire or Ventura Boulevard and stuff like that as a kid with um it it's isolating, and I bet you it is it might as well have been Albuquerque, you know yeah, um, understood totally yeah, so and you know you would learn about bands eventually by going to the seven eleven and picking up a cream magazine you know or a hit Prater magazine or a circus magazine, you know.
0: Well, it's it, such an amazing point because um, you know, for people listening at home, Kevin is talking about a very specific part of the San Fernando Valley that to me does feel feel looks like Albuquerque. It's flat. <laughs> it's, it's flat. There's mountains in the background. The streets are wider, it's suburban. It's easy to get around but you're only seven, eight, nine, ten 10 miles away from Hollywood mm. where the myth that everything is happening, all the clubs are, that's where all the famous clubs are. That's where all the rock stars live in those, in those hills in the distant, you know? Uh, so, I mean, that, that, that's kind of an amazing thing. And then Burbank is its own other world. It's its own other, it's a city state, I think mm. within Los Angeles County uh, with its own rules and its own culture, um, do you remember any other places like that bike shop, that bike record shop in Burbank, like circa seventies, eighties, that were sort of kid and teen friendly that are lost to the sands of time. Mm-hmm.
1: I, yeah, I mean, kid friendly, uh, I mean, I, I guess there were, there were a couple, um, there were a couple skateboard parks where you'd hear rock and roll music playing and, and, and early punk rock too, you know, really early stuff um, in the Valley, you know, um, I want to say, uh, Oh man, I should, I should be more on top of this, but Rosita or what was the place called skate across. I think it was called, There was a place called boogie bowl. I think that was like, uh, yeah, (laughs) you know, ridiculous. Right. Uh, no. And, but there was, you know, there was, there was another small, very small, uh, record store called Michelle's records in the, in the old golden mall in Burbank. And, uh, Michelle was this like, beautiful black woman that was probably she was in her thirties probably or something, you know, she looked like she, she was just as I was like, it just didn't seem to to fit this, you know, at least me coming from this, I guess, white suburbia um, rock and roll kind of thing. And she had, she was selling all these cool records. So anyways, there was Michelle's records. Um, there was a place called the turning point, which was, uh, <laughs> really half head shop in Glendale. Um, uh-huh, sure. And, yeah. And, they, and they had, but they had tons of used records. And this is where I really started to get, and get records because I, you know, we weren't buying new records who could fucking buy new records. So they had 10 cent bins underneath 10 oh, cents. Oh, and, oh. and Brendan, there were like fucking so many crates underneath, uh, the, 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 the stands where the new records were, so I dig and dig and dig and just pull out all kinds of weird shit, like Genesis records and things that were just in that crate, you know, and <laughs> probably some, some of the, the, you know, the early rush albums and, but to an auditory odyssey, do you know about that place?
0: I do not tell me.
1: Oh God. Okay. That, that was, that was important. I, I that was on Laurel Canyon Boulevard, right at victory. Uh, and yeah, there's, there, there's a, a, a super ghost town place. They might've fucking all rebuilt it by now called Valley Plaza right there on the corner.
0: The sign is still there. The Valley Plaza sign yeah. is still there, but nearly everything is boarded up.
1: Yeah. I mean, Valley Plaza too. If you look like, uh, John F. Kennedy spoke in the parking lot there, like it's got some crazy history, you know? Um, but Valley Plaza was where the Sears was, where we'd get our school clothes, my school clothes, and all that kind of thing. But Caddy Corner was this place called Auditory Odyssey. And again, it was half head shop, complete half head shop, and posters, like blacklight posters, and half records. And that, you felt like you should probably be at least 18 walking into that store. Cause, cause there, and none of us were, you know, but cause there were, there were just boobies everywhere and all that kind of stuff. And it was, and, and it, I can still, God this is so crazy how it does that, but I can still like, I, I smell cherry incense when, when I think about it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's so uh, perfect. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and uh, r- by the way, right around the corner, this isn't. Uh, this is how great it was because right around the corner there was a licorice pizza. You know, and that's a you know records, right? Did you have licorice pizza?
0: We did not, but it's legendary. Yeah, licorice pizza.
1: That was right around the corner. Yeah. So I mean, amazing. Yeah, and that's that's where we got our identities. You know, was was in hanging out in those places and and, and meeting people that uh, oh, you know about that band too, or you you know.
0: That's amazing. I I will also say to people listening at home, the area that uh, that Kevin is describing is not far from the location of the Bank of America, where those two armed idiots (laughs) tried to take on the entire LAPD in full
1: fucking (laughs) body armor in the mid 90s. I was living right down the road from there. Like I'm talking like 10 minute walk, maybe. Uh, when that happened and i was watching it on tv going like oh holy shit all they got to do is walk past oxnard and they're at my house you know so we were really close to that when it was happening oh shit (laughs) yeah okay (laughs) oh wow okay (laughs) whoa
0: destroyer is the fourth studio album by like Kiss and it was released on March 15, 1976 on Casablanca Records. It was the third successive Kiss album to reach the top 40 in the U.S. as well as the first record to chart in Germany and New Zealand. The album was certified gold uh, on April 22, 1976 and platinum on November 11 of the same year it was the first Kiss record to go platinum. The album marked the departure from the raw sound of the band's first three albums. The songs on that record Include Detroit Rock City, Shout It Out Loud, God of Thunder, and Beth. Um, The reason that I picked Destroyer, uh, sir, is because I think that in 1976, 1977, I could draw the album cover by memory. I didn't have to look at it. I could literally draw, because I actually, I had talent uh, as an artist as a kid, and I abandoned it years later, but... Um, but I could draw that record cover over and and that's what I would do in class. I would just sit there, you know, as the nun is talking, I'm drawing the four guys from that gorgeous illustration, one of the greatest album covers of all time. But, um, and this is really where kiss just is launched into the stratosphere for me.
1: Yeah, dude. Yeah. And and you said it, it, it's, it is gorgeous, right? It's the thing about that album cover and just that time and that record was they, that photo, that illustration, they were literally like on top of the world and destroying it, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like it, it, it couldn't have been any more on point, I guess. And, and it was also with, with that album, uh, a lot of guys that were older than us will tell you they were out that that they were out. But for us, the timeline, we all kind of went when that album came out and went backwards and got all those early albums. So there there, there once upon a time was this dangerous, stinky ass in a fucking station wagon touring across America, grease paint packing fucking New York City, uh, not cool kid band that was out there um, building this grassroots army of fucking fans. Right. And, but by that time, everybody, you know, it was a household name, you Nepal know, in Halloween special. And, and like, you, <laughs> like you said, wait, did you say the Paul
0: Lind Halloween special? I sure did. I hope you've
1: seen that. Have you? <laughs> All right. Of course. That's how we got to see kids. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, <laughs> they, they were, um, you know, uh, our, our parents knew who they, who they were at that point. so, they they were just everywhere, right? So that was that was when that they turned into more of this fantastical uh, thing at that point. And the timing for that with with guys like us, our age, we're, we're talking like Kurt Cobain, meaningful meaningful stuff. I don't know if people know this. That there's a, a little known fact about Nirvana. On the back of the Nevermind album, there is this big weird zoomed in photograph of. Think it's supposed to be, I think it's supposed to be a bunch of vaginas, is what it is. It's like this crazy kind of pink and orange, weird zoomed-in photograph thing. And microscopic, uh, Kurt purposely placed the album cover of Love Gun in there. And you if you every, it's, it's so few people know about this thing. But if you look at the back, I don't know about this thing. If you look at the back of the Nevermind album. You will see a tiny, and it's hard to find. It's hard to find. Some people are like, "No, it's not there," and then, but then you are like, "Holy shit, there it is!" And you see it. Uh, <laughs> but I, I guess you know, I, I, you know, I was I had this conversation with with our buddy Nathan the other day. We went to the mm-hmm. Valley the Valley Relics Museum there, and we were talking about how, like, Nathan's a few years younger than me, and just like Kiss, just like um, other music that came out, just like BMX bikes, just like skateboarding um if you were a couple years 2 3 years younger or older it, like that's a massive difference like it, me- it was a difference of you you know having uh, ca- having like a tony alva skateboard or um sort of be- being a bones of brigade kid or something you know and um same with the bmx having having a schwinn having a schwinn stingray or a mongoose you know
0: yeah well, I feel that, I mean, that, for me, that, that's sort of like hip hop fell into that category for me. I felt like I was too old, like by the time rap and hip hop was really going in the late eighties, I was already moving, moved on to like sort of the hardcore college rock post punk stuff. So th- that stuff didn't speak to me at all, but kids, you know, three, four years behind me, that's all they listened to. <laughs> Alive 2 is the second live record and eighth overall by Kiss, who was released on October 14th, 1977. The band had released three studio records since Alive 1, Destroyer, Rock and Roll Over, and Love Gun. And so the band drew upon the variety of new tracks for that record with Eddie Kramer producing. Most of the live tracks on Alive 2 were recorded during the band's August 26th and 28th shows at the Forum in LA and that was the Love Gun Tour and also one of my favorites Rocket Ride by Ace Frehley is on Alive 2 okay so Alive 2 that was for sure one of my um, very early purchases but anticipating it coming out. You know, it was one thing to go to a store and to see what was there, but to know that something is coming out and you have to have it when it comes out. That's how I had uh, a live two in my brain at the time. I I remember, I remember like an advertisement for it that it was coming out. Like that's like
1: early, you know, I'm in fifth grade. I do know what you mean, Brendan, Um, hottest (laughs) fan, hottest fan (laughs) in the world, right? We have the most (laughs) fire of anybody. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you're, you're making me think how how really isolated I was there in Sun Valley, which is OK. But my my parents, I'm going to take my life too story real quick here. My my parents uh, were split up. You know, I was a you know kid, broken home kid. Right. And uh, I would go to my dad's house on weekends who lived in Burbank. And we would um, we would go into we'd take the bus over into uh, Hollywood. It was just like right over the hill, right over Barham. Into seventies, dirty ass Hollywood, right? And we would walk around Hollywood Boulevard, and we'd go see a movie sometimes, like at the Pacific Theater or maybe the Chinese at that time. And there's a there was a store called Peaches Records. Did you have Peaches Records in Albuquerque?
0: We had Peaches in uh, Pittsburgh.
1: Yes, yes, you did. Yeah. That's, that's right. Mm-hmm. So, and I mm-hmm. I believe it was like an East Coast chain primarily or something. So there was a Peaches on Hollywood Boulevard. Later, it became the Rock Shop. Which was, you know, still a bunch of T-shirts, and now, and it's right, it's right at Las Palmas. Uh, that old corner used to be uh, the Gold Cup, I think it was called, was a coffee shop, and then across was a Jack in the Box, a Rock Shop, and <laughs> I'm mean, not the Rock Shop, Peaches, and um, and Supply Sergeant, I guess, which that might still be there. Uh, so, Supply
0: Sergeant is still there.
1: Yes. So this is right <laughs> at Las Palmas in Hollywood. So my dad and I would we'd always end up at Peaches Records. And I'd walk around. so we're at Peach's Records one weekend and I, I they must have skipped me on the fucking Kiss Army newsletter that that quarter because <laughs> I, I'm looking I'm looking at all the same old kiss records. I would kind of go as like an eleven year old and just sort of go through and state go right to the kiss section and hold them up. I, I used to also put I, I felt like I, I was working for the band so I would put the albums in front <laughs> of everybody, you know and I, I thought it was I, I had to, I was doing service out there, you know? Uh, so, and I, I'm, I walked to the front and there's this display in the, with new records. And I see this kind of half hidden, uh, like purple giant kiss logo at the top. And I'm like, well, what the fuck is that? You know? And I, I lift it up and, and you can, you can hear like the angels singing it's kiss alive Two, Okay. <laughs> and I my dad was like kind of behind me. He would usually go off in a corner and look at like Elvis records or something. And so he was right next to me though. And I'm like, look, you know. And <laughs> and I was like, I was out of breath, you know. I was like, I can't believe what is this? I, this is uh, I. They, I knew something about this, but it's here, you know. And uh, he bought it for me. I have some great photographs. I'll send you too of of me with my that Kiss album coming home to my dad's house. Uh, with the Kiss album, pictures with the Kiss album in front of me, Kiss Alive 2. And 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 it was at the forum. I had friends that went to that show. I had three friends. Oh, this is funny. They were all in the band Black Taxi. Uh, everyone, Alfie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, al- al- Alfie. Those Steve. sons of bitches didn't take you? Those fucking guys. Yeah. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I, I had a fever. Okay. And I, I sound like Christopher Walken, but I I got a fever, but like I had a fever that weekend and we also like back to this weird thing of like, there's so much I didn't know as a kid, man, such a small little world I lived in, right? This bubble. And I don't even know if we knew how to get tickets or whatever, you know, (laughs) or yeah. So we, we did not, but I remember having a fever and then like being sick all weekend. And that was like a Friday, Saturday and a Sunday night or something, you know, those shows. Um, I missed those. So I did not see kiss or I fucking would have been there. My friend Alfie, the next morning on the way to school, his mom used to take me to school, gave me an ACE freely pick that he caught at the concert. (gasps) And I still have it. Yeah. Holy Um, Christ. Wow. But I saw kiss on the dynasty tour two years later, a month, a month before Peter left the band. And I I, I I know I I pulled this out of my case. I don't know if you can, can you see this. this I have this, that shirt. Yeah, this, this was mine that I bought at that show in 1979. Oh my God. And this is just a little special. So this is the Kiss Destroyer on tour concert program, and I, I know
0: the Kiss Army on there with a Kiss Army logo on the back. Yeah, I thought he's say, legit. Yeah. Well, that's 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 why I'm talking to Kevin today. Let me a uh, quick question yes. before I move on to the final album that I'm going to throw at you. Okay. Um, what was your first big rock show in Los Angeles that you saw as a kid? As a kid? Was uh, it the Dynasty Tour or or, or did you no. see someone before that? And I don't care if it was like Linda Ronstadt or the Beach Boys. I don't care. Yeah, you're, the you're, first <laughs> rock concert you went to.
1: You're, you're not far off. Um, we, we used to go see shows. My mom would take me to concerts at the Universal Amphitheater, which became Gibson and whatever. Now it's Harry Potter, right? <clears throat> um, but it had no roof, it was really an amphitheater back then, and they had these summer concerts, and she would get tickets from her work or something so we saw we saw leo sayer <laughs> that, that that was my first that was my first concert leo sayer uh you make me feel like dancing right all that stuff yep, and mm-hmm. we saw little river band uh, <laughs> uh and we saw i want to say I, Oh, I know we saw Sister Sledge, and I wonder if it was, <laughs> which is such an odd, like, <laughs> they were headlining, or they might have been opening for, like, Cher or Diana Ross or somebody, but, and... Oh, We uh, Are
0: Fa- we Are Family was the fucking biggest song in oh. 1978 or 1979 or whenever that came out. No doubt. Oh, so,
1: and we would see America. We, every year, America would play. Oh. Like, like, seems like they never stopped playing, so we would see uh, Sister Golden Hair and all that stuff, and... And, uh, you know, like you mentioned with Beth, nobody knew that was Kiss. Like, I remember hearing that on AM radio before I bought my Kiss Alive album. You know, it was same with America. That, that was the thing, like, you'd go to a show and be like, oh my God, they play that song. Oh, and they play that song too. And, you know, that happened with America. I'm like, oh, they like own the radio, this band. Okay, I get it. You know,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, guilty pleasure. I love America to this day. And, and by the way, Sirius XM. Has a Yacht Rock channel right now. It's I think it's just a limited time. It's Channel Seventy on Sirius. If you people out there in the world have Sirius, uh, and it's just it's just America and Seals and Crops and Steely Dan. I don't even like Steely Dan, but in the in the context of Yacht Rock, it's fantastic. Any anything with Michael McDonald on it. But God damn it, do they play every America song on that channel? And it's it's just nothing but pure joy. Uh, anytime I hear Tin Man. Or Sister Golden Hair, uh, or You Can Do Magic.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs>
0: that's right. Lick It Up is the 11th studio album by Kiss prior to its September 23rd, 1983 release. The band members appeared on MTV without the trademark makeup. It was their first public appearance without the makeup by the band and their first for Mercury Records, Lick It Up, where they had just signed following their departure from Casablanca. Songs on that record, well, there's really only two of them, Lick It Up and All Hells Breaking Loose. Okay, here's why I wanted to ask you about uh, Lick It Up. I vividly remember it was Appointment Television, Watching MTV when J.J. Jackson presented all four, well, not Peter and and, uh, Ace were out of the band at this point, but all four members of KISS without the makeup, and that was an insane period of time. Uh, What are your thoughts on Lick It Up?
1: Uh, God... (laughs) Look it up. Uh, This this is going into the territory where I I went deeper and deeper into the closet, right? Because I was I I, I'm so loyal, Brendan. I'm so loyal. Like you know, you can say whatever you want. I'm still in personally, and and I'm gonna hide and love my little band no matter what, you know. And uh, for everything they did for me, you know, even if it's just those two guys, you know. And, um, uh, you know, like anyway, so lick it up. I, I remember leaving school, um, and going to Michelle's records in Burbank with my, with my friend, Steve Richmond. And we both, (laughs) we both bought our copies of lick it up. And I remember we were really excited that it was heavy, you know, and because you, you know, you had you had like the elder and unmasked and, or, you know, it, it, and uh, and this weirdness that started to happen where they weren't even writing the songs uh, or playing on them really. And so lick it up felt like a cohesive rock and roll effort to me, I guess. Uh, I took me and Steve Richmond, I got to tell him about this podcast. He'll love hearing his name <laughs> on this. Um, <laughs> and, and we got into my little Opal GT and we went to all three uh, concerts in, in Southern California. I think two were at Long Beach Arena. One was at Orange Pavilion. It was, I think, it was that tour. Yeah, uh, Vandenberg and Riot were the openers. <laughs> 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 but you know, I and I missed that unve- unveiling of of kids. Uh, who like they didn't announce it. Just I missed everything, dude. It was like the next day at school. Oh yeah, we saw, you know, just take their makeup off yesterday. Where was I? I don't know. Well, it
0: ran MTV, MTV ran like the radio in our house. So that's why, I mean, we, my, my mom, you know, talk about broken family. My same thing. My mom worked. The upside of my mom working was we were, me and my brothers were, we ran the house. (laughs) And so MTV just stayed on like, like a radio. Mm. And if they weren't playing a music video that we didn't want to see, we would leave When we would hear something we wanted to see, we would run back in the living room and watch the goddamn video. So that's why I saw that. Here's the one thing I want to say about about Lick It Up and the whole thing. KISS absolutely is responsible. It's the bridge from the Beatles to ACDC for me. KISS basically introduces me to hard rock at the perfect time, fifth and sixth grade, so that everything that comes after KISS is the stuff that I really sink my teeth into like for me there's almost no van halen acdc rush and then the judas priests solo ozzy and and of course iron maiden so by 1983 i am fully devoted i've already seen iron maiden in concert i've already seen judas priest in concert i've already seen acdc in concert but for me i've always thought of kiss as the they helped me in the door they pointed me in the right direction. They were almost training wheels for me for hard rock. Mm. When lick it up comes out, it's not hard enough and crazy enough for me to get into it because number of the beast by iron maiden is out there in the world. And Mm. motorhead is out there in the world and British steel and screaming for vengeance by Judas priest is out in the world. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. lick it up might as well have been a lover boy record in a way, but Thank God for it, because the, the other thing that I, I wanted to mention is now when we see KISS live current day, it was the last show I saw before the pandemic, KISS and Dave Lee Roth at the Staples Center, and we have tickets to go to see them um, coming up, uh, what, in September in, in Irvine, or August in Irvine. When they play Lick It Up now, it sounds amazing. It's a, it's a fantastic <laughs> song in a set of nothing but hits. And you're like, that's a fucking damn good song. And everyone's happy and it's fun and dumb and stupid. You know, and I, I actually did like all hell's breaking loose when, when that came out, but uh, I didn't know what to do with Vinnie Vincent. I remember thinking like, what is that a human being?
1: (laughs) Yeah. It was very odd. I, I saw him in the makeup on that creatures tour with, with a brand new Motley Crue opening the show, like on their first album. And wow. And the place was, it was at the universal amphitheater. Uh, place was like maybe three quarters full people left after motley crew um yeah motley crew i'm talking motley crew like punk rock motley crew like mick mars it said mars and duct tape down his leg you know (laughs) like like they were so so raw and they um they really kind of owned that night you know but um, dude, you said so many things you said like fun, dumb, whatever it was that that's everything Kiss to me. There's nothing serious about kiss for a second. All those bands you fucking mentioned, those icons, they all opened for kiss like, uh, like yeah. we we owe them kind of for like, who knows what platform those bands would have had rush Judas priest, ACDC. These are bands that had like maybe three records out already. And we're playing The small hockey arenas in, in Fucking Canada or whatever And um, so I, I, And Van Halen I mean, it's it's Pretty, okay it, it, It's pretty bold of me to say, like, would we have Van Halen? But I don't know Would we? Like, K- KISS is kind of Responsible with, I mean Gene did those demos in the beginning A lot of great fucking bands Fall to the side And
0: K- Paul Stanley told us about going to see Van Halen at the Starwood. He's like, Lita and I went down. We were like, Lita Ford. He's like, yeah. <laughs> Leo, <little> Lita. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, but he was like, you know, that was, they were just special and crazy. Thank God. Gene wasn't able to convince Eddie to join kiss, you know, because like you said, maybe things just went on, on earth too or Earth-3 or Earth-4, Eddie Van Halen, you know, replaced Ace, <laughs> you know yeah.
1: what I mean? Well, Eddie did play, uh, he wrote the guitar solo for Christine 16, because he played on, like, some original demo that Gene, Gene said, hey, you know, Ace is playing cards with his buddies, can't make the session, as usual. Uh, can you come and play this guitar solo for Christine 16? And I think the story goes, I think that Ace liked it so much that he just... Kept the same solo, but if you listen to Christine Sixteen, you can hear some Eddieism in it, like long notes, melodic. You know,
0: you proved your Kiss fandom right there. You haven't had the chance to see the history on A and E because it hasn't aired yet. It's airing on the twenty seventh and twenty eighth. This podcast will be out after it airs. But Gene talks about. Ace constantly blowing off things for card games to the point where Gene goes, I pick up the phone and I say, Ace, where are you? And I hear, I'm at a card game.
1: Uh, Like he, he, he mocks Ace with the voice. (laughs) That's wonderful, dude. I mean, and, and what about like that 96 reunion thing, right? Like that, that was like the thing you just thought would never happen. And, um, uh, you know all of this talk about kissing, like how meaningful it is to guys in our specific little fucking demographic of age and everything else, right? Um, and and the timing. Uh, I remember turning to my friend. I went to the first show. I went to all three of those shows at the forum for the reunion. And the first night I was there with my friend Dell. And and. <laughs> And we, well, I don't want to say, well, okay. Uh, I could say something about Gene, he, whatever I'd say it to his face. Probably. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But like, we both looked at each other and said like, let's just pretend for the next hour and a half that Gene is a com- isn't a is a complete asshole. Okay. And, I, <laughs> and then, and then, and then, and then like right into it uh, I had this like sensation at, where everything about kiss brings me back to a feeling, that feeling of being 10, 11, 12 years old. Right. Um, I I was like, Oh my God, this is my divorced parents getting back together for one fucking night. One final hurrah, one party. The thing I've dreamed about my entire life as a kid that I, I thought that was so important, you know, to get my parents back together. That's, Yeah, so my other parents, KISS, did that (laughs) for one night. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh,
0: for the Dodger Stadium show, uh, where the Smashing Pumpkins opened up on Halloween, I painted my face like, Gene, I will send you the photo of me eating dinner at Fred 62 after the show in full Gene makeup, uh, but with an army jacket, because that was KISS Army. I had like a KISS Army uh, pin on the green army jacket, but long hair and jeans face. That was a great night because I was fortunate enough to sit behind the, uh, the all girl punk band, the Donna's. Oh yeah. And, and I spent the whole time basically kind of watching them watch kiss uh, and cause they were into it. And I, so that made me into them and they knew the songs Yeah, and they were young at the time. They were still teenagers at the time. Cause that was the, the you know, that the, the second go round of the reunion era uh, when they played at Dodger stadium. Um, dude, I have kept you for over an hour, and all you did was prove your kiss bona fides. <laughs> prove your your <laughs> rank in the Kiss Army. Uh, You're way up there above me. Um, all you did was fucking crush it, and this was just this is exactly how I want to spend uh, my Saturday afternoons um, talking about Kiss, and it, it makes me more excited to drive from Hollywood to Irvine. To see them, you know, driving during rush hour from Hollywood to Irvine, uh, just to see Kiss, and I wouldn't do that for nearly any other band.
1: Is where is it Irvine Meadows or where do they play?
0: No, What's there, there there is a new. It's it's a temporary. Uh, it, they, they bulldozed Irvine Meadows. Okay. The legendary Scream for me, Irvine, uh, where Kevin and I saw uh, Iron Maiden many years ago. They the uh, Live Nation found another Mesa and they built this thing called the 5 points amphitheater oh. and it's literally like steel uh it's it's almost like a high school football stadium feel to it like it's a it's a temporary place with uh you know like mobile homes for the you know the food court and stuff like that it's really chintzy but um live nation owns it and so that's where they're playing you know fuck it um mm-hmm. it's going to be great i can't wait to see it and i'm just what a delight talking to you dude
1: dude y- y- you too and uh yeah, it's it's you know, I, you know, a kiss taps right into like the joy of being um, a kid, you know, and for me, yeah, and, and, it, and, it's, it's, and it's fun. It, it's really not a lot more than that. It's really not. Yeah. For, some, for some people, it's Star Wars, or for some people, it's you know, a BMX bike or whatever. But for me, it's kiss, and, uh, and I don't know how much it has to do with music. Um, that's yeah. that's a bonus.
0: Well said. Before I let you go, uh, is there anything you'd like to promote? Where can people find you? Where can they find new material? Uh, just, you know, give people a little, a little hint about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be putting some, some things out. Um, my last name is, is like the hardest thing to understand ever, but it's Rentkin and you'll put it up on the thing so they can, it's just Kevin Rentkin. I'm on Instagram and Facebook and, and all those things. And, um, we're we're going to actually do a video pretty soon here in a couple of days So that should be up soon.
0: Well, fantastic. Everyone, please go check that out. And dude, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you, buddy. This is super fun.
0: Um, And to the rest of you, thank you so much for liking, listening, subscribing, telling your friends about the BrandoCast. So many great guests coming down the pike as always. And of course, the BrandoCast is produced by Mr. Richard Sheltinga. So until the next time, cats and kittens.